Naye Lupondwana on SAFM. Let me introduce you to our guest for tonight. We do have, in no particular order, first up, Dr. Taj Harge. He's no stranger to our program. He's the founder of the Open Mosque and the director of the Oxford Institute for British Islam. Dr. Harge, good evening to you and thank you for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening to you and your listeners. Also, we do have uh, Pastor Abab Shilubane, who is a pastor at the Calvary City in Pulugan. Pastor Shirubani will be joining us in a short while. We're still trying to get her on the line. Also, Ashwin Trikamji, President of the Hindu Mahasabha. Ashwin, good evening to you and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, good evening, now and good evening to your listeners. Uh, interesting times that we're living in, eh? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> indeed there. All right, let's jump right in. While we're waiting for the pastor, we will continue our, our conversation. And as soon as she joins us, I'll introduce her again, and then we will get down to it. Let's begin perhaps um, uh, with you, uh, uh, Dr. Hargi. Uh, we, we, we're talking about interpretation and not necessarily, uh, well, the people. And by people, I mean female pastors or gay people or any of those. We're talking about the interpretation that involves or applies to them. So I'd not wish that we misdirect our listeners to think that we're talking about something else. We are talking about the interpretation. Do religious people within any given religion over time change or adapt their interpretation of Scripture? And I would wish that we focus on that. So let's begin with Dr. Targi. Dr. Hargi. Is it possible that perhaps our interpretation has been diluted by time? No, clearly the, the Quran teaches that it is both timely and timeless. And since uh, realities change from century to century, from generation to generation, then clearly the interpretation must also change. For example, there's something in the Quran right now we are Muslims are fasting, and the Quran tells us, that, uh, you know, um, we can eat and drink at night time until such a moment you can distinguish the white thread from the black thread. Now, that was the only way in 7th century Arabia to realize that, listen, the, the dawn has arrived. Clearly today, I don't think that any Muslim, in fact, I'd be very surprised if any Muslim in the whole wide world that actually goes out with a piece of uh, a white thread and to see if we can distinguish, and a black thread, and see if we can distinguish one from the other. So today we rely on computer uh, c- um, calculations, on astronomical tabulations to decide when is um, the, the, um, the dawn beginning and also the same for when the dust begins. So yes, changes are inevitable. Why? Because human beings are changing and society is changing. And if we have any faith that is fossilized, totally frozen in time, how would it be uh, possible to actually practice this faith and be a uh, committed thinking adherent of this particular religion? Islam doesn't want any zombies. Islam wants thinking believers, not to, to be ritualized and be on an automatic pilot and just do what the clergy tells you. No, it demands that every human being should make a conscious decision whether he or she wishes to believe. And that belief must come from your brain. It must come from your head. It must come from your cranium. And the only way to do that, of course, is to use this capacity that God has given you, your uh, mental capacity, and then, of course, to decide on what needs to be done. Uh, Clearly, in in, in 7th century Arabia, who could have thought about a submarine? 
who could have thought about um, internet? I mean, so clearly the, the world has changed, or airplanes, or whatever the case may be. The world has changed drastically. What's important is for believers, myself included, is that we do not change the whole spirit and the ethos of the faith. For example, I, so I fast today, and I, go, I do not use the white thread, black thread uh, uh, example. I use, <laughs> you know, a, 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 a computer-generated model to tell me for the whole month when is fasting beginning and when is fasting ending on every day. So I haven't distorted the, um, the, the commandment to fast, but I have updated it in terms of implementation. And I think unless a, um, religion, I can't talk for every religion, but let's talk about Islam. Unless Islam actually updates itself, it will lose relevance. It will not be able to, um, to, to uh, convince uh, people in the future that this is a religion that makes sense. I'm okay Islam, with that example uh, there, Dr. Hargi, but I want to give you another example perhaps you can speak to in terms of your interpretation. There comes a time in any human being's life, especially men of Islam, uh, to do Hajj. But in the days of coronavirus... Forget about Hajj. Just gathering as 50 or 10 people in any mosque is forbidden. What does your faith say then? Can I... Yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. No, can, can I then continue to go and gather there because I am instructed to gather in a place of worship? I am at some point in my life. I have to do Hajj. D- does it mean, therefore, I will ignore so and it, I will is, mi- reinterpret... Is it better to do Hajj when you're dead? No, I mean the whole purpose of life is public health. Yes. Now, right now we have a calamity, a pestilence, a contagion coming from China, sweeping the whole world and has locked down the, virtually the entire planet. Clearly, what takes precedence? For us to gather in, in, in Mecca with one or two million people there and then further spread this disease, or for us to say, no, that is irrational, that doesn't make any sense, that's illogical, do you think God will be angry if we don't do it this year? No, he will not. And uh, we can do it next year or the year after, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Public health must take priority over uh, uh, rituals. I mean, that goes without saying. Okay. Why do we allow uh, uh, us to be ritualized, zombified Muslims and just follow things because it is written and yet the danger is so clear and present and that we need to do address these things first? before we talk about rituals and, uh, and customs and traditions. So what comes first, the text or our interpretation of the text? No, both comes together. But the point is, for example, you, and I'm glad you mentioned it from Surah Hajj, the, uh, the, the chapter on pilgrimage, that we should all go and people will come with every kind of animal, lean ca- camels and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so the Quran was actually looking for telling people that there will be many modes of transport, not just the camel and so forth. That's right. There will be uh, aircraft and so forth. So we, we, we use the text, but we inter- uh, give a, a temporal current interpretation to the text. I mean, for example, how many people, except the people living in, 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 uh, in, in the desert, today go on every camel to, to Mecca? Yeah. Everyone takes a bus, takes a, a, a car, takes a plane or whatever the case. Very few people go by camels. So if we're going to follow the text literally, then all of us from Cape Town, Johannesburg, we should be going up to Mecca in caravans of camels, and then we should go do the Hajj there. How come no one's doing that? Okay, got it. See, Thank we, you very much. We're being selective. We're being selective. Got it. 
and to say, listen, yes, we must follow the the text literally. But when it uh, when you point out the impracticality, uh, the, the unpracticality of literalism, then they shy away from this. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Hargi. We're going to take a break and come back. When we come back, we'll find out the Hindu perspective of what we're talking about. And the question we're trying to get answered, questions uh, all welcome. By the way, you can come with your own questions and your own comments. But our question for tonight is, do religious people, people within any given religion, over time change or adapt their interpretation of Scripture, perhaps even to uh, be as relevant to the times as possible? You're still listening to Facts of Faith. Hashtag SAFM Facts of Faith We are continuing our conversation trying to get some answers to the question do people of faith tend to change or vary the interpretation of scripture to adapt to the times we were scheduled to speak to uh, Pastor Bob Sishlubane who is a pastor at the Calvary City in Puluguane she is not well picking up her call if you're close to her Please let her know that we are still trying to get connected to her. We are live. All right, let's go to uh, Pandit Ashwin Trikamji, the president of the Hindu Mahatsaba, talking to us and giving us the Hindu perspective. So do tell me, Pandit, we, we are talking about interpretation. Again, I want to stress this very much because people tend to take offense and be take issue. And, and I don't know how many times I've been taken to, to the BCCSA and I have to explain things and people then close their mouths when they get there. So perhaps I should just make the clarities right now. We are talking about the interpretation. We're not talking about people. So uh, is it possible that perhaps our interpretation as people is is adaptable it's it's malleable it it changes with the passage of time yeah i i, I think uh, first of all thank you for having me on shirk and uh, it's always a pleasure uh debating with you uh you you do your homework well and you certainly ask searching questions thank you, sir. for me the key is interpretation and i'll start off uh, with let, let's just leave religion aside. Religion, or text as we call it, is a law that governs the way we pray. But uh, over and above that, if we just set aside prayer and look at law, law has evolved from the time of Adam and Eve, as it were. And the laws in a country keep changing all the time, or keep changing because of the passage of time when the interpretation of the law varies simply because of the demands of society at a given moment in time. And I'm not going to go into details about that, but I just want to use it as an analogy and bring it side by side with religion and say religion laws, in our politics, are also capable of interpretation. And the interpretation changes. I have to concede that, because if it doesn't, then I think we'll be still, as they say, uh, practicing old age philosophy, uh, middle age, call it ancient philosophy. We keep changing it because of the demands of a, of the time. And remember, these demands are, are are directed or influenced by the intellectual advancement of human beings. You know, human beings today are more and more intellectually advanced simply because of the educational uh, opportunities that are there. And as that intellectual advancement increases, the questions with regard to narrow interpretations 
simplistic interpretations are questioned as to whether that particular interpretation given by the textual understanding by a priest like myself in uh, 1940 should not change because in, in 2020, life is different. It is not the same as it was in 1920. So I think I have to agree with you completely. Yes, it's not the text, but it's the interpretation which changes. And I think you give, give us, I'm sure we're going to have that debate. I can give you innumerable examples of how times have changed the interpretation of a particular text. I mean, you use gender in your in, in your opening remarks, and I think that is probably a classic example. But there are many, many other interpretations which I will give you as we go along. So my view is Hinduism gives you the opportunity for a wide interpretation because Hinduism does not, uh, the Hindu text does not lay down do's and don'ts. It's there, it gives you a philosophical view, and then it is for you to interpret it uh, the best you can in the circumstances in which you find it. And probably, you know, you mentioned uh, COVID-19, and I thought that that was a classic example of how society today has interpreted its practices completely differently, simply because of the demands of present day and time, the demands of health, the demands of giving your, as as uh, the Marana said to uh, Dr. Rashid, that the demands of your health far outweigh any other demands that may have been brought on you. So yes, I, I, I must conclude that interpretation does change with the passage of time. All right, the lines are open, by the way, 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. If you prefer to send a WhatsApp text or a voice note, you can do that, or you could send a text, a simple short message is also per- permissible, 40938, 40938, and we're also available on social media, at SFM Radio, and the hashtag on Twitter is SFM Facts of Faith, hashtag SFM Facts of Faith. So both of you gentlemen, and I say this gentlemen because we don't have the lady that was scheduled to be joining us, um, a pastor, Shurubana, she, was, she hasn't picked up her phone yet. It would have been nice to have a female perspective to Is our conversation. coincidental or ironical? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do still wish that she will join us. I, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's yeah. um, when, when When we are saying it must change and both of you are agreeing that uh, it, it is reasonable for it to change it bothers me because the the, the expectation of, from of faith is that the interpretation is not intellectually informed it is the rather spiritually informed it is the spirit that would inform how you interpret how when did this change now how is it that we're talking about an interpretation that rests with the intellectual fruition what happens if go back to 1610 the interpretation in 1610 of the text should be true to the truth as it has been given it should not vary because of time time should not change the truthfulness of the text and as such we are supposed to read the text for the truth it teaches, regardless of time, isn't it, Pandit? Yeah, you, you, I think the, the, the key there is that the, the, when we talk about variation or 
change of interpretation. The 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 spirit or, or or the core value doesn't change. It's the way in which it is practiced. And perhaps I can give you the an example of of what I'm trying to say. Uh, let's take the the the, the issue of, of same-sex marriages. We've had that debate now for the last 20-odd years. Mm. And each religion has been called upon to... In, initially, we were all called on, upon to make representations. Now, the scriptures were very, very clear. The text was very, very clear in, Hindu, in, 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 the, Hindu, in the Hindu religion. The different types of marriages were defined, and nobody ever went beyond the first, the first one, and that was marriage between um, uh, members of the opposite sex, a male and a female, without looking at one of the possible ways of marriage, which, which now becomes relevant because of the debate that has opened up, is that without refer- referring to the same sex, rather referring to sexual at all, it says, why a marriage between one person and another person can take place. Now that's now you you might interpret that or others not sure. You might view that as a change or a variation of an interpretation. How could that happen when the sixteenth century there was no ways that there would be such an interpretation that was there because of the the core value or the core principle was it had to be between members of the opposite sex. But it's there, it's there in the scriptures. It is just a question of how you interpret it. And that interpretation is informed by the passage of time. So now today, you've got same-sex marriages, and of course, we're not going to go into that debate, but you've got it not because there has been a change or a variation in the core value. And the core value is still that it's... it's uh, persons so yeah that's that's the, that's my point that, would that know, be the not... core value there pundit if if, if 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 it is two persons then there are other variations that we need to be very careful of and that variation for example is the relationship between the two which proscribes incest for example or child abuse, the age difference between the two, or the age of majority. There are other rare variables that have come to play. If we are going to say it just the core value is just two persons, then that opens the floodgate, the floodgates to other, uh, well, proscriptions, things that have been forbidden, like marriage between two persons who have relations kin relations or two persons who have an age difference, uh, one being 16 perhaps and the other nine or eight. All all those things then come to play. If you're going to say the core value, it's just two persons, then you're effectively suggesting it's going to be okay to be married to your sister tomorrow. It's going to be okay to to be married to a child tomorrow because after all, the core value, it's just two persons. Is that so? Yeah, well, what does... Well, let me ask the question the other way around. What's the difference between two persons and a, and a male and a female? Because the male doesn't say that the male must not be your brother or your sister, and the female doesn't say that must not be your sister. That's not defined at all. It's just the opposite sex. Well, in and your not, faith, it may not... Without any restriction being placed on whether that person should be of, of, of the first... Uh, first uh, relationship 
in, a, in, a, in, in, in your, your family history or the first phase. Kinship. Of the I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. In, 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 you, you may say that, uh, Pandit, in yeah. your faith, but in other faiths, specifically the Abrahamic faiths, uh, all, all those things are specified. I want to bring in again Dr. Hargi. Dr. Hargi, is it possible yes. that perhaps um, uh, even the, the responses that both of you gentlemen have given that um, we must be reasonable and intellectually malleable, thereby making our interpretation malleable, does it not perhaps suggest that it is no longer and uh, about the truth, but how we want to adapt the truth? No, the Quran makes it very clear that it is incumbent upon all Muslims and believers that they have to think and ponder. Uh, chapter 16, verse 44, if you will allow me. We sent you with clear signs and scriptures. We have sent down the, rem- the reminder to you to, en- to enable you to make clear to humanity what has been sent down to them so that they may ponder and reflect upon it. Ponder and reflect upon it. So this notion that, you know, we must be blind slaves to the text and just do because and implement it the way uh, medieval scholars have interpreted it. Now, I'll give you another example. Uh, the medieval scholars said that, you know, you, should, um, you, you shouldn't fast when you're on a journey. Well, the Quran says you shouldn't fast on, on a journey. And, and they limited the journey to 40 kilometers. Why? Because 40 kilometers on a camel in the blazing sun, uh, sunshine is, is, a, is a hardship. Today, you and me... I mean, I don't know about you, Naya, but yes, as a Muslim, if yeah. I go from Johannesburg to Pretoria, do you think I'm going to uh, uh, stop fasting? No, because I'm, I'm in an air-conditioned, small little Mazda or Renault, whatever car I have, and that's it. So this notion that we are blind slaves to the text without any uh, uh, reference to, uh, to the current-day reality, that leads to zombified faith and to fossilized believers, and I don't think Islam wants uh, that. And let's on, on, I'm so on, um, sad that uh, our female pastor is not around. Let's talk about the issue of females in Islam in terms of female leadership. Why did that most mosques and so forth do not allow women uh, to give the azan, the call to prayer? Why don't they allow them to give the khutbah, the sermon? And why don't they lead, allow them to lead the Salat al-Jumma, the Friday congregational prayers? Well, very clearly because there's absolutely there's nothing in the Quran that prohibits it. All the, all the stuff that's being implemented denying women the equality in the mosque is because of custom and because of tradition. Nothing to do with the text. So we as 21st century Muslims, we have to understand and listen, if I have a sister, if I have a daughter, if I have a wife, by the way, my wife is actually far more intellectual and brighter than I am, how can I deny her equality in the mosque when it comes to uh, to taking leadership positions? So at the open mosque in Cape Town, we've already allowed women to give the azan, the call to prayer. We've already allowed them to, to... to, 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 to conduct the sermon, the khutbah, and we've allowed them to also to uh, um, say the, and lead the Friday prayers. Now, it's very sad that we don't have enough women to come up, put their heads above the parapet, and do this on a regular basis. We've done it so far only two, two or three times, and that's not enough, I concede, but at least it's a start. So we now have to go to the text, and because the text has a goal, the Quran has such a golden rule that most Muslims aren't even aware of it. The Quran says, Whatever is not specifically prohibited is permissible. So if there's nothing in the Quran that denies a woman her equal rights in the mosque, 
Why do Muslims blindly follow uh, patriarchy and the medieval theologians who uh, are just there to uh, champion uh, male domination in society? So yes, we need to look at the text and also look at the spirit of the text. And that's why the Quran says it's been given to you to ponder and reflect. Now, uh, very, very briefly, uh, you know, uh, uh, people talk about the pillars of Islam, which is, you know, fasting, prayer, uh, charity, hajj, and so forth. And they talk about the, the principles of Islam, which is, you know, uh, believing God, the angels, the prophets, the holy books, and the last day. What they never talk about, and something live, uh, my own uh, original thinking, uh, is the precepts of Islam. And what are the precepts of Islam? It's actually an acronym, JEFTA, J-E-F-T-A. And I've derived this from the Quran. Number one, J, insistence on justice. The Quran tells you time and time again, gender justice, economic justice, social justice, the quest for justice. Number one, justice. Number two, equality. Equality, black and white, male and female. Uh, uh, physically able and not able. Okay, all types of equality. Just J-E-F. Freedom. The Quran talks about freedom all the time. You're not obliged to believe. It gives you uh, the, the choice to believe or not to believe. The Quran says there's no compulsion in religion. Chapter 2, verse 256. So just J-E-F. T. T for tolerance. The Quran says we must be tolerant of all those around us. Doesn't matter if they're believers or non-believers. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 62 of the Quran, it says, Surely the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians and the Sabians, whosoever believes in God in the last day and does good deeds, they will have the reward from their Lord, they will have no fear. Look at that tolerance. Do Muslims implement it? No. But that's tolerance. So, to have J-E-F-T-A, justice, equality, freedom, tolerance, the law, and the A for activism. Quran, the Quran and Islam doesn't want Muslims to be in the mosque only and just to pray five times a day. That's not enough. You have to be go, go out there in the community and be an activist. You know, if you see pedophilia, drug dealing, all types of uh, immorality, you need to be active, actively opposing that. And so this is the type of Islam. So what I have done, I have used the text and now come up with these interpretations to show, listen, this type of an interpretation makes sense, is relevant, and Muslims can relate to it and become part and parcel of the society instead of being apart from it. All right. Hold, so, hold yes, that we need to have interpretation with respect to the text. All right, hold the thought. I want to take a break and come back. And the lines are open, by the way, 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. When we come back, we'll drill down a little bit. On SAFM. 18 minutes now before 8 you're listening to Facts of Faith we're trying to drill down now to the nub of the issue uh, Panditrikamji so effectively what you gentlemen are saying is that what was wrong then could be right now and what is right now could be wrong a few years to come all depending on on the interpretation absolutely absolutely you know i'll give you one of the best, most talked about examples of of uh, how uh, as as uh, the haji mentioned interpretation and and he specifically said there's no way in the in the quran it says that an azan cannot be called by a woman uh, similarly in hindu in the hindu scripture there is absolutely nothing in the scriptures itself that prohibits a woman from participating in any kind of a prayer 
a, a sermon or for that matter a recital. And one of the most, uh, if I may say so, unpleasant practices in Hinduism, purely out of what I call uh, uh, interpretation, was this whole question of widows. You know, in, in, in amongst the Hindus, widows were prohibited from participating in any kind of a religious ceremony, uh, kept away even if a, if, if a mother uh, is a widow and her daughter was, is getting married, she was prevented from participating in the actual wedding ceremony because she was a widow. Now, this was absolute nonsense because there's no way in the scriptures does it say that you, whether you're a widow or you are not a widow, that you are, you are, you are not permitted from participating in, in a Hindu ceremony. So there you are. We now, you know, we had a, what, what might call uh, interpretation, which over the passage of time became, in the eyes of people, blind people, uh, religion, which has now been shown to be totally, totally untrue. It's a practice that was totally un- unnecessary. So yes, interpretation is what it's all about, and and I'm afraid I, I must go back. I know you you try to separate intellectualism uh, with uh, with spiritualism, but and you know we talk about spiritualism, which is steeped in philosophy and drawn out of philosophy. But in, uh, intellectualism has to be logic when you are speaking of practices, when you are speaking of so-called religious rules or regulations or whatever you want to call them or laws, you must be intellectually be able to defend it. And if you defend it, it must be your, not interpretation, what do you read in the scripture and how you interpret it. And if you interpret it any other way than what is there, then you are going to be taken on, as it were, in an, in, in an argument, and you would lose the debate because you would be told that your interpretation is wrong for A, B, and C reasons. So I, I'm afraid I have to come back to interpretation. That is the key to this whole debate. It's not that the times have caused the interpretation to change. It's simply a question of times have caused the interpretation, if I may be so blunt, to be more accurate, more relevant, and more practical. I think that's probably the way we've got to look at it. You, you guys are sounding like my law professor. Still. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried now that you can argue a case and win even if um, uh, the crime has been committed as long as you're able to argue a case successfully. So herein lies the issue there, Pandit. We're talking now about a society that has been taught like I have and many people who are listening now of relativism and truth being relative and therefore uh, listening to uh, Islam or Hinduism or Judaism or uh, Christianity for that matter, the, all of them are not truth or absolute truth. It depends on how well they convince you. And if you are convinced using their re- rationale and yours, then you can follow. So in actual fact, you guys, as you speak right now, you are purely talking not because you have been convicted of some deity. It is because it made sense to you and that's why you followed. The interpretation of whatever has been brought to your attention to be truth, it made sense to you and that's why you're there. Not because it is actually true. Well, I, I think that uh, by by broadly or generally saying that it made sense to, to us, it's probably an overstatement. It's not a question of it just made sense to us. It's a question of 
of uh, interrogating the text carefully and asking whether it is relevant, firstly, in terms of application and whether the application would result in not not a changing of the text, but simply a practical way in which to apply it. An application of, uh, of, of a particular text does not necessarily mean that you're running away from the truth or reality. It can't be, possibly. D- Dr. Hargi, you, and, and I, I'm making this assumption, you can correct me if I'm wrong, as, as, as scholars and as a student myself of these texts that you share with me, I have found myself having to read all these texts, all your scriptures, to come to an understanding of the concepts I'll be dealing with. But what has now been elucidated in this conversation today is that as you speak as a Muslim, you are a Muslim not because it has been proven to you beyond a reasonable doubt that this is Islam is the way and Allah is the only God. It is purely because for you, the information that was presented to you, the truth that was given to you, it may, you read whatever text that uh, Pandit Trikamji read and whatever the pastor who did not join us today read the scriptures and you came to the conclusion using your own reasoning, your own interpretation that perhaps Islam is the way. A slight correction. Okay, firstly, Allah is not some God. Okay, the word Allah is just an Arabic word for God. And so Muslims themselves should get off their high horse and think Allah is a special God just for Muslims. Okay, Allah is just an Arabic word for God. Now, this idea that, you know, uh, I've just come to this uh, faith like that. Now, yes, I was born a Muslim, but I, uh, you may not know this. I left Islam for a dozen years. I didn't want to have anything to do with fairy tale uh, theology that, uh, that, that the clergy was spouting. Uh, uh, in Cape Town, where I was brought up. And so in this dozen years, I was the seeker. You know, I went to Hindu temples, secret waters, Jewish synagogues, uh, Christian churches, you name it. Okay? And then I came back to Islam. Because Islam then made sense to me because it, 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 uh, the true Quranic Islam is that it, it, it has a two R's and the two B's. Reason and revelation. Okay? Your brain and, your, and the book. When you marry these two on the basis of logic and intellect, then you come to understand it is the transcendent truth. So that is what uh, informs my decisions. I'm not a zombified Muslim. I want like to think I'm a thinking person. I don't have all the answers. But I do not want to just follow faith blindly. Because if God wanted me to follow blindly, he should have made me a sheep. Okay? Because sheep follow blindly. That's all they can do. No, I, I understand, Doctor Hardy. You, I want to remind uh, you again. The there, me yeah. and, and everyone else listening, our brain boxes, and he expects us to use it, to discern from it, and not just follow blindly. The trouble with Muslims today, everywhere, whether it's South Africa, United Kingdom, wherever, most uh, Muslims have now are, are robotic zombified, fossilized believers. They just go on automatic pilot. And that is why we have extremism and all kinds of nastiness in the, in the community of Islam. Imagine they were all thinkers. And also, very importantly, agree to disagree. Let me repeat. Agree to disagree. Then we wouldn't have this intolerance in Islam. We would have a faith that talks about logic, about reason, and about coming to your own understanding. And then, ultimately, you 
You, Naya, mm. me, the pundit, whoever, we are free to choose to believe or not to believe. That is the beauty and the bounty and the brilliance. I, I understand, of Dr. Hargay. I understand. I see it. And so it is a marriage Allow me to of just both take the it. intellect with the text, with the reality. Dr. Hargay? To make, uh, a, 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 a solution that fits today's world. It's no use Dr. Hargay, I, I need to take a break. Just just give me the minute there. I need to take a break and come back and give up your interest to respond to conclude your, your, your point there. And I want to remind you that uh, I totally appreciate what you're saying about being a thinker. Quite frankly, uh, Panditrikamji is a lawyer himself, so he's a thinker himself, and I'm sure all of the gifts that we get come here, they apply their minds, but still, you stand on opposite sides of the faith. Stand by. Hashtag SAFM Facts of Faith all right, I'm going to take some calls for you, gentlemen, and then we're going to conclude our conversation. I'm going to just begin uh, with uh, Kumbuzo in Durban. Good evening, Kumbuzo. Good evening, Naya. How are you? Oh, well, thank you, sir. Go ahead. Yes, Naya, are you specifically t- talking about a Muslim or can I comment on the other side? You can talk about any faith, sir. We're talking about interpretation. Go ahead. Okay. Now, I think the interpretation of uh, of the scriptures always change from generation to generation. Mm. You know, so if I look at, like for like, like for example, if I focus to African believers, if if you look at the African believers who build the uh, pyramid, they they invested with their skills, scientific skills, with everything. But today, uh, if you look at the African believers of today, we're now starting to question those who want to invest in church maybe we we say uh maybe them they must pay tax or uh, and and things like that i think maybe now because of the uh, environmental change or maybe because of the current uh, challenges we maybe uh maybe change our beliefs or maybe change the way we believe uh, because of the uh, uh maybe current challenges I understand. I understand. I understand. Thank you very much. Appreciate your calls. Kumbuza's Kumbuza arguing there that things change and interpretations must change with the things or the times. Um, uh, Dr. Hargi, I interrupted you there. We want to conclude your thought. Yes, so I think it's very important that we should uh, always refer to the text, but we shouldn't be blindly uh, following the interpretation of uh, bygone eras, because every generation, as your caller just mentioned, needs to understand it in the light of their own circumstances. You know, so Islam is not a dead, fossilized faith. It is a living, vibrant religion that needs to address all the challenges and the issues uh, of, of our time and of our day. And that means that more than ever before, we need to apply our reasoning, especially in terms of gender rights, in terms of uh, human rights, in terms of interfaith dialogue, all of these hot button issues, jihad, uh, so-called violent uh, warfare and all all this. We need to apply reasoning to this and say, listen, is this what the uh, the text actually meant, or are we blindly following what uh, the, the scholars and the theologians of yesteryear told us to do? And why are we of the past, and why are we not masters of the present and the architects of the future? Got it, got it. Uh, uh, Pandit Trikamji, uh, you want to respond yeah. to this? Yeah, well, look, uh, as far as our text is concerned, that's the Bhagavad Gita. You know, the central teaching of the Gita, I think that to me is a key to my argument, is the attainment of the final beautitude of life or the perfection of freedom. 
which is called moksha, right? By doing duties of life for one's actions. Now, uh, that that is the wide, wide message that we are getting across. And then you get all these minute little rules which which dictate rituals and practices which over a period of time, generation to generation, keep changing. And of course, the changes come about as a result of the different interpretations. But I want to emphasize that the fact that you interpret it differently because you are interrogating it more deeply or drilling down using your language, drilling down deeply to get more and more depth into what is really meant by the text, does not mean that you are sacrificing truth or call it spiritual uh, spiritual uh, understanding. It is simply making certain that what the text says is what can be applied in your life today practically. And of course the two have to marry each other because if they don't, then it doesn't make sense. So to me it's again an intellectual interpretation which leads to a progression over gen- from generation to generation. And of course generation to generation times of Times will change, and the changing, changing times, of course, make uh, make for changing demands. But that doesn't mean you change the. For instance, the way you pray, that's not going to change. Whether whether you are like uh, like uh, like uh, Dr. Hadi said, whether you are praying in the mosque or whether you're praying in the temple or outside at home, that's not going to change. But however, it's the manner in which you pray, what you pray. What you believe you are attaining from the actual prayer that you're performing and why are you praying? Those are the far more intellectually demanding questions than worrying about rituals and practices. Yeah. Which will say, but it didn't happen 20 years ago. Why is it happening now? Indeed. I want to read some texts. I, yeah, I fully endorse the pundit saying, I think you know, we should stop being so obsessive about ritual and think about rationalism and reason in our respective faiths. Got it. I want to read some texts on, on, on faith books. Uh, that's Facebook, right? Yeah, that's Facebook. Um, uh, there, one, Gareth Yonkers writes, Lately, the interpretation of scriptures has become subjective. You can blame the translation of the religious documents along the years or church leaders and churches with hidden agendas. The real question we should also be asking is why some scriptures were left out of the some of some religious documents. The Bible, to be specific, the Bible has been translated too many times, and the original information got lost in between. At least that's what I believe. I have a real grip with Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 15, the scripture seemingly seeks to play down the importance of women leadership in the church or anywhere for that matter. It's degrading, to say the least. That's Gareth Yonkers. Thank you, Gareth Yonkers. And then Lutandon Zambo writes, uh, Yes, interpretation of the Bible has changed with the times. For instance, I find that the church used to preach a message that we are not to... Uh, of this world we are mere pilgrims who should endure the world as we strive for a home in heaven the life hereafter that message seems to have changed now we much about living our best life in the now world the mission now seems to be the restoration of eden in our lifetime church preachers a return to the life of originally intended when the first first men was placed on earth i.e. the life of Edenic abundance okay I'm going to leave it right there my time is up that's how we conclude our conversation for tonight
tonight. Thank you very much, Dr. Taj Hargi, and also to uh, Pandit Ashwin Trigamji. From me, Naya Lupondwana and the team, find me on Facebook, on Twitter, and on YouTube, Naya Lupondwana. The debate continues. From me, Naya, and the team, have a wonderful evening, and Godspeed. <laughs>